welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, former chronic illness sufferer turned trusted health practitioner. My passion is helping people to identify and address the root causes of their symptoms through my online business, Viva Natural Health. If you're struggling with confusing or stubborn symptoms that just won't go away despite your best efforts, then you're in the right place. If I can heal from a long list of symptoms and conditions, including cystic acne, hair loss, severe food reactions, and brain fog, then you can heal too. Stay tuned for weekly episodes that share expert guest interviews, Q&A, and solo episodes that are all intended to help you wherever you're at on your healing journey. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only, and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi, welcome back to the podcast and for part two of this conversation with my friend and colleague Rosie Tadman on some of the causes of underlying infertility, or shall we say subfertility or fertility challenges. Definitely go back to part one of this episode if you haven't already, so it's just from last week because that's where I go through more of it rosy, but basically she is a nutritional therapist like me who likes to focus on the root causes and supports individuals, and she specialises in fertility, hormones, and yeah, if you're going through something like IVF, she can help you through that as well. So in last week's episode, just to recap, we just got onto two of the common root causes that Rosie sees, and that was vaginal and endometrial microbiome imbalances, and also how what egg and sperm quality can contribute to. And I did a little teaser and I cut you off just as we got into the juicy bits, but I was basically asking Rosie, how do we treat some of these underlying infections that can contribute to um, both poor egg health and this oxidative stress, inflammation that can drive not only fertility issues, but a lot of diseases and conditions. And also things like vaginal infections, endometrial infections, whether it's E. coli, or a sexually transmitted one. So I was just getting into Rosie, um, Rosie's answer with that. So I will resume the episode in a second. But in this part, we cover how a few of the other root causes, such as stress and trauma, luteal phase defects, low progesterone and thyroid issues can contribute to fertility issues. And she shows how vaginal pH strip testing can be a really cheap and useful tool to see what's going on with your vaginal microbiome how you um, can track your cycle, your temperatures and cervical mucus to help you understand your body and fertile window for optimal conception timing and why you need to be aware of some of the products that you're using vaginally, vaginally, whether that is even organic tampons. She made a really important and um, does something that I thought about afterwards, a really important point on whether we should be using tampons at all. I know they're convenient, but in terms of Chinese medicine, sometimes you just want to let that blood flow. So that's something that we discussed in the episode. So I'm not going to leave you waiting any longer. Let's get into part two of root causes, underlying imbalances contributing to infertility with Rosie Tadman. Yeah, enjoy. And what would be the solutions? I know it depends on like what the imbalance is, but what are some of the most common imbalances that you see? And what's like an overview how would you treat it would you do things vaginally or internally or from both angles so it might be that there's a pathogenic bacteria that comes up then 
I would usually be recommended, I'd write a referral to the doctor to prescribe antibiotics. And I would, because usually, you know, people are on this time frame, they want results. With that, I would always make sure that they are on some sort of biofilm disruptor alongside the antibiotics. And what type um, of bacteria is it? Things like strep or? It's like urea plasma mm. is a big one that I often see. Um, that's probably the biggest one. E. coli is huge as well, which is often the root cause of most people's current UTI infections, often E. coli. And are they they're, they're meant to be there or are they meant to be like the urinary tract or is it just that they get overgrown? Overgrown. Overgrown. Mm-hmm um yeah so they're like the big ones that I would often see but in I'd need to have a look at an in vivo report they break them down as pathogenic anaerobic bacteria pathogenic anaerobic bacteria and that's important to know which one they are because they will then um hopefully respond to antibiotics but they need to be different antibiotics and have you ever done a I know you said in just the matter of time it takes it's going to be a lot less on regular antibiotics versus herbal formulas but have you ever helped anyone successfully eradicate through the herbal stuff personally just on the herbal route with something like a pathogenic bacteria like urea plasma Um, and the doctor's usually on board if you write to them and yeah 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 and um, that's the same whether it's the vaginal in vivo test or I did the fertilisis endometrial one. And that would still show up pathogenic bacteria. Um, so that's one thing that might come up. But also it might come up with candida. Like that mm-hmm. is something else that would show up. And, and also it might... Um, I would also potentially use other herbal or otherwise things when someone does have a pathogenic bacteria that requires antibiotics yes i'd use the biofilm disruptors but maybe also other things as well um so that would be full body and sometimes also vaginal suppositories would be included um within that so i'd kind of like try and support it from both angles um and then sometimes people have which this is like usually the simplest one to sort out is no issues other than pure deficiency of lactobacillus, which is the beneficial bacteria within the vagina. Then that can have major impacts and really mean that implantation is an issue, but it's often so much easier to rectify. Could that be literally just taking a lactobacillus probiotic, which is one of the most common cheap strains anyway, isn't it? Yeah, and inserting it vaginally. Wow. Um, so would it work if you took it internally as well or not as effective? All of the research that I've read from, like Biomedica, the Australian company, they've um, done the re- done a lot of research that I've read around lactobacillus and all of their research is done on taking it orally. Interestingly, though, when I've spoken to their rep, they're like, oh, but do it both, you know, just in case. Always recommend it. You might as well. Might as, might as well, <laughs> you know, just inserting a lactobacillus supplement vaginally. What um, about pH level, or is that mainly affected by the lactobacillus? So kind of like it's no, it can be a problem, but it's probably due to like an infection or deficiency or yeah, another no, a deeper it, problem. I would say like pH 
is the first indicator that you'd want to look at to see whether things are out of balance. And if that pH is too alkaline, then nine times out of 10, when you look further down the report, you're about to find out why it's too alkaline. But the anaerobic bacteria don't always change the pH. So you might also have someone whose pH is totally normal and you're like, oh, I'm about to scroll down and the report will just show there's no issues. And then they've got big anaerobic um, bacteria, but that just doesn't change the pH. Um, so that still needs to be rectified, even though their pH is fine. But if someone's pH is out of balance, then a weekly test, just useful at home test to know that things are changing without doing another 200 pound in vivo vaginal microbiome test is vaginal pH, the test strip. Um, so is that difference to the urine ones? Just so long as they, they can be the same ones, but you just need to make sure that the uh, pH is within the right range. So yeah, it's versus urine. So look at the proper ones for vaginal health versus urine health. Yeah, because they need to go from really like at least like three to six or seven. Okay. And we can get them on Amazon. Like yeah. they're really. Um, so that can just be a good way to know if someone knows their vaginal pH has always been out of balance. Oh well, I'll just buy some of these on off Amazon, and I can see if I'm doing it weekly that it's moving in the right direction. With also the knowledge that pH will naturally fluctuate in the vagina will naturally fluctuate throughout the cycle anyway. So say for example, during ovulation, pre-ovulation, we want our vaginal microbiome to be slightly more alkaline anyway, because we want it to welcome in sperm and not to be too acidic to kill it. Which the flip side of that is that if you've got a vaginal microbiome that's out of balance, then you're having sex in your fertile window and your partner who you're having sex with has actually got an infection in his sperm, you're then more likely to be affected in that fertile window, which is ironically the time that you need to have yeah. sex. Okay. You have it all. Yeah. It makes total sense, but then people still think like, oh, it's just bad luck or I'm just infertile. And there's so many different reasons that it could be. But you'd always want to start with like the basic things first. Are you having sex at the right time of month? Which you'd be surprised. People are just not aware of the fertile window. Yeah. That's how surprise pregnancies happen as well. Totally. And what yeah. about things that we um, kind of use personal care-wise, tampons? Even there's these like gels and stuff that claim to like support fertility, um, creams and lotions and all sorts of things. Like what are your thoughts on what we put in internally massively important i think you know to help the vaginal microbiome don't put anything internally within your vagina uh, make sure that they are free of all of the nasty toxic chemicals whether you're wearing reusable washable period pants or pads uh, but really unless you really have to wear a tampon because you're going swimming that day or whatever it is I'd say just steer clear of anything internally. I know within like Chinese medicine, like in terms of like energetically, you're really stagnating that energy when you really want it free flowing out mm. of your That's uh, something that I, I need to, because I've worked tampons, because I've for years used a menstrual cup and then 
one month for whatever reason it just got stuck to my cervix really? yeah and I couldn't get it out and now I've got like trauma around menstrual cups so it happened multiple times I definitely I, I wanted to stick with it because I just know that there's so much easier but then I went to see a pelvic floor physio and she said it's quite a common issue um and yeah it was basically like pulling down so if I would have pulled too much it would have caused a prolapse so I stay away from those now but I'm just used to using organic tampons and it doesn't cause me any pain or anything like that um and the way more convenient aren't they but with what I've been reading more recently especially like the energetic side of things and Chinese medicine all of that I think I need to start wearing pads or just the the period undies instead I think they're all like mix you know like all most of the time like you know, if you're at home and like wear a pad but then you know if you are I don't know like going out and that mm. just works for you for whatever reason but yeah I think especially if there's some sort of dysbiosis don't wear tampons uh, but arguably I think in general it doesn't really support uh vaginal microbiome and the energy are there any like i don't know if they're like lubricants or something that people say that help them conceive or mm-hmm. are there any like positions or any like you know these wives tale things that we hear yeah, is there anything yeah. that's actually like legit that's worth trying so i'd say like pre-seed is the lube that they have tested and shown that it doesn't kill sperm um so and even for clients, oh, so it's more it's not like it helps you conceive it's more like it isn't toxic like all both. the other ones it's like both it's like being sold as a lube to help conception um so i would say like ideally you want your own lube which is good cervical mucus like serv- good cervical mucus is like the motorway for sperm it's like literally mm-hmm. the, it's that nice smooth road that will take the sperm right up into the fallopian tubes and will help their meat um rather Isn't than it crazy that our body just makes it on its own like, <laughs> like, it's magical. but so pre-seed i suppose have like looked at what's in cervical mucus and trying to mimic that um so that could be something definitely to consider because sometimes on one of the horrible ironies of clomid which is an ovulation induction drug is it can really dry up a woman's cervical mucus, um, which is so vital. Yes, secondary to ovulation, but only just by a smidge. Um, so say potentially pre-seed might be something I'd recommend to someone like that. And old wives' tales around fertility. I mean, an orgasm, a female orgasm can help conception it's quite literally like that mm-hmm. sucking the sperm up into the um cervix and the fallopian tube um then like position wise i don't know i don't know enough really about i've not read anything that is that like conclusive mm-hmm. i mean like if anyone's trying to conceive i'm pretty sure they'll keep the legs up in the air like just <laughs> in case it makes it <laughs> uh but it's really- never been confirmed it's not been confirmed um so yeah but equally but say things that help don't mean that you can't if it doesn't happen so like obvious you can conceive without having an orgasm without having cervical mucus uh, but they are definitely things that can help great 
And I was just thinking with your protocols, so if someone has a bacteria or fungal overgrowth and you're working on that with them, or maybe they're taking the conventional antibiotics, what do you advise in terms of them continuing trying to conceive during that time? Is it is it better to just have a break, Definitely get the health better, break. or is it okay if they continue? Because I know it can take a while and they feel like they're on this time ticking time clock anyway. Um, but yeah, what's your on advice? Any, on any vaginal protocol, and they, they would normally, I would try and keep them to less than one or two cycles. So it's like, let's go with the vaginal irrigations along with systemic body approach. And we'll already have done like pre-work before we're moving on to that ideally. Uh, but try and not have unprotected sex just because quite often there is a cross-contamination happening so just while there's that vulnerability within the vaginal microbiome only have ideally protected sex um which mostly i think people are up for especially if they're symptomatic because like having thrush all the time or having bb is pretty yes okay it's not life-threatening but women will be like they'll do anything they'll do anything and I mean, they're the instances where I've not, a couple haven't conceived yet or a solo mum to be hasn't conceived yet, but I've helped them eradicate their thrush or BV or whatever it is. And that's a lovely moment when you know you've got their trust, like even though they've not conceived yet because you've helped them with this massive thing. Yeah. In their life like, okay, been. what you say works, so I'll just continue to... Do whatever you say. Yeah, yeah. Like they're like, you know, I'm already, I'm recommending you to yeah. friends because it's been such debilitating. Mm. Which you can totally see, you know, especially if they've been on every single medication to try and resolve it, and it's not resolved. Um, the best feeling ever, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. Let me ask you a quick question. Where do you want to be in six months' time? Do you want to be more energized, feeling comfortable in your skin again? excited for life because you finally started to see improvements with your health or do you want to still be frustrated and depressed because you're still struggling with symptoms that are taking over your life and stopping you from living to the full if you want the first option you have to do something different after all the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result if you're currently DIYing your health meaning trying to heal yourself through researching, trial and error, and wasting a lot of money and time in the process, then you could actually be sabotaging your results. Would you try and fix your car yourself if it was broke and you didn't know what was wrong with it? No. So why are you trying to do it all alone when it comes to your the most important thing that we have, which is your health? Trust me, actually asking for help and investing in yourself saves you time, money, and a lot of stress in the long run. I know you're probably not getting any answers or support from your doctor. I've been there too. But that's why I created my six-month root cause relief package. This one-to-one package offers the highest level of support and transformation because you'd be working closely with me to help identify and address underlying root causes of your health issues. Even if you're already eating healthily, taking some supplements, there's so much more to healing, so don't feel like you've tried everything. Let me help you figure out what's causing your stubborn symptoms which support and support your body in healing naturally, which in case no one has ever told you, is completely possible. 
check out my website, which is linked in the episode show notes for more info. And there's also a link there to book in a free 20 minute enrollment call so that we can chat further about your unique situation and goals and see if it would be a good fit for us to work together. If you've been looking for a sign, this is it. So next on the list is how stress slash trauma can cause or contribute to fertility issues. Is that localised stress and trauma to like the vaginal area or from some sort of surgery if they have endometriosis or do you mean like emotional, energetic? I would say, I think I was more when I, I think wrote it on Instagram, more kind of thinking that broader systemic trauma. Um, this, I should say, like is not my area of expertise at all like say once I've supported someone with all of the other things and say they still haven't conceived so say like after every round of IVF if it hasn't worked we'll always have a call in the diary to discuss how it went what happened what were the uh, what was the quality of the embryos like you know what was discussed etc um and sometimes, you know, and I, I'm always keen to never write someone's story. I, I would never say like, I think maybe there's trauma involved in your subfertility story. Um, but I might ask the question about like, what do you think? Do you think there might be an emotional, energetic, depending how they, you often get an idea of the words people, other people would use to describe their situation. So I try and always like mirror the language they may use. Uh, so it might not be trauma or it may be trauma, depending on what I think they would describe it and see what their response is and see whether they would be up for me recommending or whether they knew anyone who could support them with that. Um, so I think the whole like, like with everything, does stress impact fertility? I think it can, but I don't think it certainly doesn't for everyone. The can't, you could be the most stressed person on the planet and conceive. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it can't affect some people's fertility. And what and are some of the most common? Does it have to be like specific to their um, like sexual health or instances of like abuse or like they don't believe that they can get pregnant? Or are you just talking like general life stress? All, all of the above. I think it could be, yes, it could be sexual trauma. Yes, it could be childhood trauma. It could be general life micro stresses that have all added up to be a completely dysregulated nervous system. Um, all, all of them. I think it's so varied. Um, Do you so ever have people where like deep down they actually don't want to get pregnant? I've definitely had people where or their partner even. I've yeah, I've I've, I've certainly had that discussion with clients, and they've said to me, you know, things like, "I uh, there is a bit of me that worries about the world, and is it really the time to bring a child into the world?" Um, given, you know, we start you know talking about like climate change and all these things all of a sudden in like a, a client consultation or. Do I, is it really what I want to do? Maybe I'm not getting pregnant because really I don't want a baby. Um, and that's when I am really clear that I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not a counsellor. Um, I'm more than happy to let 
to hear your story and to hear where you're at and to try and um let's see if there's someone out there who can help you deal with those um things if that's what you want to do and I think that's where the signposting comes out of it but I think sometimes people would come to me like psychotherapy or somatic work or um nervous system regulation like might not even be things they would know to put into google Mm -hmm. to like look for someone but they might know nutritional therapy so they're like and there might also be lots and lots of physical things to support them with and I think sometimes one of the lovely butterfly effects of complementary therapy is the work that we've done together has now given them energetically more capacity to deal with x y and z trauma or to talk through that yeah Um, it's a huge thing that I I emphasize as well so I would say like I'm not a trauma healer but we strengthen your body up and get you physically detoxing mm-hmm. it'll mean that when you do go to someone you have that resilience because it, it can be a stress to clear trauma from the body or go through like difficult times like relive them but if we strengthen you up a little bit then it's going to be more successful than if you go in deficient and mm-hmm. constipated physically then you're not going to be emotionally able to release mm-hmm. and when you rec- when you refer people on so let's say that they have this mother wound they had a really bad relationship with their mum as a child and subconsciously um you've identified that they don't want to kind of have that happen again with their child um i've heard that can be a, a common problem do you send them to like a conventional psychotherapist or counselor or i know we were talking before um about practitioners who do like womb circles and um, healing somatically through like dance and all of this like more holistic side of things or is it again a combination dependent on the person I would often at this point have had a feel and will have spoken about what they're open to and then off the back of that I will try and send them a nice smorgasbord a nice menu of different practitioners that they could contact but also just different things that they could maybe think about doing in their everyday life that I know isn't going to trigger and make any trauma worse that can just really gently regulate help to regulate their nervous system whether that's like journaling walking um gentle breathing baths you know all the generic Mm. kind of things whilst they're looking at who might feel right for them to take that um next step with so there'll, there'll often be a mix. It might be talking therapies, someone who does talking therapies. It might be someone who does more somatic work. It might be a hypnotherapist. I'll try and give people a bit of a, a yeah, just a few different options so that they can see what resonates with them when they look at people. What do you think of more of those? I want to say woo-woo, but I believe like more the spiritual side of things like womb healing and or even things like reflexology. I had a client who we were working together um, for a while. She wanted to get pregnant, and she swears that on top of the work that we did, reflexology was mm. the thing that got her pregnant in the end. Um, so, yeah, do you have any like success stories or recommendations for things to people for people to look into, or things like acupuncture? I know that that's been clinically mm. like studied, and they even use that alongside IVF a lot of the time. I think the in terms of like 
getting the body back into balance. I think there are so many different modalities that can help with that. Like re and I think it's finding the ones for you that work. So whether that's Reiki, whether it's reflexology, whether it's acupuncture, acupuncture is the one that we talk about most because it's the one that's most clinically researched. But I found for some clients, Reiki, energetic work for them is so much more powerful and they feel so much more benefit than acupuncture or vice versa. Um, so I think it's about finding out what helps because ultimately we know even through science that the body keeps the score as the book title is named um what i don't think the that does the body side of things does is if someone has got something emotionally that they need to physically verbalize and work through then i think that's when talking therapies has its place um, they, they kind of need to go through that mm. to then be able to also process it within their body. No, because otherwise it's kind of just like lay on a table and someone's going to heal you, whereas sometimes yeah. you need to like process. And there's also the, the other side, though, where just talk therapy and just yeah. going through when your mind isn't enough. You have to physically release. So a combination, mm. again, approach is good. Um, and like what we do, we focus on the physical body but then we also refer out to people who work on the emotional energetic too. So it has to be holistic and address like from all different angles. Yeah. I think they've all got their place and they'll all help different people. I don't think there's one panacea for help. Like there's no one modality that can help every single person, including nutritional therapy. Sometimes that isn't right for someone for whatever reason um, in the time and place within their life so I think it's about finding out what would really suit you yeah um, and then there's another two points that I want to cover so two other causes of fertility issues one of them is a luteal phase defect the other one is thyroid issues and typically that's going to be more underactive thyroid although overactive could contribute as well so yeah what do you want to cover because I'm sure that the things that we've discussed tie into that. So things like cervical mucus is important. Things like addressing your stress and trauma, clearing any infections, improving your diet and your lifestyle and endocrine disruptors, all of that. So other than those things, for the luteal phase defects and thyroid issues, is there anything else you want to add? Um, so I'd just say like low progesterone is now starting to be recognised within conventional medicine. As a is it not already no that is no. ridiculous it's kind of now moving out of quackery to starting to be recognized like, progesterone so is the pregnancy hormone so how can it not be connected you ovulate so you're fine okay <laughs> i know like, mine probably my because yeah i know my absolutely mine <laughs> probably um so yeah I would just say it's working on egg health it's working on your thyroid and affect your egg health your this yeah it's all these things affect thyroid they affect luteal phase defect I don't and think. do we just would you just with your clients get everyone to test the thyroid even if they're not symptomatic how how common do you see thyroid imbalances I would always get a basic thyroid panel done for everyone Normally, that will already have been done. And if they've got any autoimmune history, then yes, would check antibodies as well. 
make sure that the cofactors for thyroid are optimal so your vitamin d your iron um things like selenium i mean htma thank you for training yes. me that, <laughs> um, is important so yes i'd always get a basic panel done and why does the thyroid affect fertility and hormones so your thyroid kind of sets the pace for everything within the body um and your adrenals thyroid ovaries are like that little triangle of triad of friends mm-hmm. and it can impact say hyperthyroid could impact something as basic as ovulation or an ovulation if um it's not working properly um so it's thyroid is integral to everything and sometimes it might be that your tsh is fine or your t4 is fine but maybe you have got the autoimmune form of thyroid disease hashimoto so um there's an immune issue there although there's not a primary root primary thyroid disease uh, but that can still affect fertility and i'd say that's the most common factor isn't it so yeah definitely something worth considering and and symptom wise for thyroid it's basically like everything slows down so i think brain function skin cell turnover hair growth digestion even things like um detox and constipation just think everything turns down and then hyperthyroid overactive everything speeds up so the opposite and yeah if it is autoimmune with it being an autoimmune immune condition Hashimoto's you want to address the immune system which is in the gut so this could be another reason to um, address the microbiome and this might tie into the vaginal and endometrial microbiome but could also be separate Um, and then the luteal phase defects are basically the quality of your egg determines the quality and the production of your progesterone um, but what do you exactly mean by a luteal phase defect? How do we know if we have that? So from ovulation to your next period, you want at least 10 plus days of a 0.2 rise in temperature, at least. Anything shorter or lower in temperature, then I would say potentially there's a progesterone issue or a luteal phase defect. Um, yeah that is potentially hindering most probably hindering your fertility and do you recommend like the old-fashioned thermometer and paper charts or any apps gadgets and tools i mean you can do it as something as simple as uh, 0.2 decimal place thermometer as long as you're doing it the first first thing in the morning before you get out of bed roughly the same time or drop down if it is a different time what I find with clients is, especially if they've been trying to conceive for a while, that's like the daily reminder that they've not got a baby anymore mm. at, at the moment. Um, so can kind of like set the day off to be like really, really stressful, which I totally get. And going back to nervous system, we don't want to already start the day dreading it. So even things like temp drop, like the ones that you wear or obvious sense that's internal, I know like Aura Ring are now uh, teamed up with um, Natural Cycles. So if it like the continuous monitors don't mean that you've got to like remember to do it at the same time you're not starting your day. The downside of those things are you've got to pay for them and they're often a lot more expensive than a £10 thermometer off Amazon and a paper chart. Um, Read Your Body is a lovely online app that you can input into 
I'd say just don't use a big mistake that I often see clients making is they'll use the ovulation prediction as as um, a gold standard for when they're going to ovulate over their cervical mucus. So you mean the, the the strips? The, well, the strips, yeah. but also just the predictor in that. Uh, app. All right, okay. Yeah. Like you're going to ovulate in a couple yeah. of days. Like, well, your bodies could change month on month just because you've ovulated on day twelve for the past twelve months doesn't mean that you are going to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so always use your cervical mucus or fertile window over temperature. And what, what what are we looking for with that? So changes to it being wetter, egg white consistency, slippery. Um, there, that's peak mucus. So the last day of fertile mucus, so wetness or the egg white consistency, slippy. It's then eighty percent chance that in the next twenty four forty eight hours you will ovulate. You only know obviously your last day of fertile cervical mucus when you've had your next day you've not had any type thing um so again it's only retrospective but anytime that you've got fertile cervical mucus you've got that motorway for sperm sperm can live up to five days so that's when you're most fertile so you want to be trying like multiple times a day i would say like once a day within your fertile window will suffice but if also if you like miss a day it's not like oh it's no Mm. point just try as yeah, try at least once a day within your fertile window. But I know like urologists, in terms of sperm health, you really want to be ejaculating at least two to three times a week to help that oxidative stress within sperm. Like that's a really like simple way to reduce oxidative stress is we'll make sure it's turning over regularly. Yeah. So even within like conventional medicine, I've not come up with that advice that's what I've heard time and time again fertility specialist says that you want that sperm turnover to be consistent throughout the month um and that can be them self-pleasuring by themselves it doesn't need to be that it's necessarily like you having sex so totally get like you know there's sex fatigue that can happen with a couple that that just turnover needs to ideally be happening consistently um, with tracking, so the woman tracking her temperatures and everything, is there a point, because I'm at the point now, not that I'm trying to conceive, but I just kind of know, like, there's no need for me to track. I know that my temperature's rising, or would you say just while you're in that space, you just want to make sure that your temperatures are 0.2 higher at least? I would say post-ovulation. it depends on the individual. Like, I think it's useful information to have for a few months, like three or four months, and that could be the three or four months, say if you're planning in advance, I would usually say like, get the data whilst you don't need it. Cause like, whilst you're not like really invested in it, like just track your cycle for three to four months because you don't want to get pregnant yet. So you're not going to be like, oh my God, what is it? And often women know when they're ovulating or they might know, not obviously some will, but that doesn't tell you what your progesterone is. So I'm more looking at tracking your cycle for your progesterone than for ovulation. So yeah, women will often say, but I know when I'm ovulating or around when I'm ovulating, but not really asking the tracking your cycle is that progesterone piece, not the ovulation piece or just the ovulation piece. And is it worth testing progesterone as well? And which method would you use? You could do, but really tracking your cycle through temperature is a much better way 
than a blood test at a certain point in time. Um, equally, the best case scenario would be get them both and build up a really full picture of what progesterone looks like. Because what you can do with a blood test progesterone is, even if you do it at the right time, so say seven days after ovulation, and say if that progesterone rises sufficiently and it's showing really healthy progesterone, that's not to say that then a day or two later, someone starts their period. And the progesterone, some people's progesterone can curve really nicely, but then it literally drops off a cliff. And that's when, um, in theory, they've had the progesterone test and it's fine, but their luteal phase isn't long enough. Well, that's why the the Dutch, I don't know how often you run that, the Dutch cycle map can be better because you can then see the, the month fluctuation. Yeah. Rather yeah. than a snapshot in time. Yeah. yeah, the only thing with Dutch is, it's expensive you can only get you'll probably do one month um whereas with tracking your cycle you can build up really you want to see like three before you start like saying oh there's progesterone issues i'd say that i want three cycles worth of temperatures then let's talk about them otherwise like you can have a cycle when you don't ovulate and there's nothing even wrong just on that particular cycle you didn't ovulate whereas the last 30 you did type thing um so yeah i would say it's more the patterns that you want to look out for rather than one fixate on one cycle so if someone's not trying to conceive and they're listening if you have a particularly like painful period one month if it's just a one-off then obviously try and like understand why that happened and look back two to three months ago but it could just be a random thing that can happen because you didn't ovulate travel can throw it off or illnesses so i would say the same with symptoms as long as they're not reoccurring and ongoing then don't try to stress too much because then that's going to make everything worse yeah that like need to know exactly why that's when my that's what exactly what my brain is though i'm like what's wrong (laughs) (laughs) what do i need to do (laughs) yeah and when you're trying to conceive and you desperately want that baby that is yeah it's intensified Hmm. so I think we've covered a lot and we could go on but is there anything that you really want to make sure that we finish up with any important points or do you feel like that is a really like thorough overview I think that's a very very thorough overview (laughs) I want to have you back on because we want to do like a, a fun chatty episode And I'm sure the listeners would love that as well. Like two nutritionists just chatting about mistakes we've made. And we were were messaging this morning um, about how much we've changed since college. And even at the beginning of this episode, we would like just cringe at some of the things that we did back then. But if if you want us to do an episode on that, let us know. We'd definitely be up for it. So stay tuned in a few weeks. Um, hopefully we'll have one of those episodes come in but I always finish the episode with three questions for you Mm. so the first one is what's something that you're into lately so this can be health related or it can be completely random what is something I'm into um so trigger warning this does talk about children um so I'd say right now, given this season of life, I'm really into going to bed early. <laughs> I am, and I don't even have kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think right now my life is very much work, 
and family and there's not that much space for that much outside of that um so very much and you know I am 11 months postpartum for my second and my other one's three so given all of this information that we know I um yeah just trying to now get sleep as much sleep where I can um so I'm in I'm I'm into sleep <laughs> so um, nice <laughs> that's why I'm with such good friends <laughs> just have like a sleep a sleep party together yeah just <laughs> let's just together and sleep for 12 hours <laughs> sounds amazing um what's your go-to breakfast eggs of some description nice perfect fertility food side mm-hmm. note and what's one thing that you do daily apart from your healthy breakfast and your sleep routine that keeps you hormonally in harmony? I would say walk. Mm. Sure, like love, live near a beautiful nature reserve and love, 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 love walking. And even after I've had an initial consultation with a client, I'll go for a walk, I'll process it in my mind. And within the hour's walk, I've pretty much written their plan. So then when I get back to my computer, like my fingers are on fire. Mm amazing um so but love love walking so and I just got a standing desk it's I have the standing desk but I've got the, the treadmill yeah treadmill yeah yeah like walking pad whatever they're called and it's literally changed my life I how often would you go on it like not on I realized I was doing it on client days and I was getting out of breath which is really bad because I'd just be like passionately talking to the client for ages like, have and you- then I'd be like huffing and puffing even at the low speed so I've realized um I'm just going to use it when writing protocols and like doing emails and stuff and it's amazing and I realized how sedentary I was before because I and, just like, feel like so good and- yeah 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 it's fine though not an issue at all but just not on calls for now, unless I get my cardiovascular fitness up. Yeah, like, are you okay? Are you I, felt like, I felt like Beyonce trying to like sing and perform at like, the Super Bowl. <laughs> but I was literally just walking like one mile an hour on the treadmill, <laughs> trying to talk. <laughs> but yeah, yeah walking that. is the same for me. Yeah, yeah. And just, uh, uh, yeah, an enjoyable thing to do. Mm-hmm. All about the joys. And I want to learn more about, I'm always asking you, like, give me tips for when I'm a mum, like, what shall I do? What shall I not do with you having, like, the same um, job as me? But I want in that chatty episode to talk more about your experience with pregnancy and motherhood and all the things. So, yeah, I can't wait for that other episode. So that'll be your third third episode. I mean. On the show. <laughs> Become a regular I know, like, I have a little slot. And we could always do one in person because we don't live too far away. So we'll... Well, we could do the chatty one in person. Yeah, yeah that'd be fun. Amazing. That'll be fun. Amazing. Well, thank you for coming on the show. We'll put all of your links, the products that you've recommended, the websites, and also your personal contact detail. But could you just give us an overview now where people can find you online if they're needing any help with the facility? So Rosie Tadman Nutrition, I think, is my handle on Instagram, Facebook, if anybody still uses Facebook, and also my website, Rosie Tadman Nutrition. Um, so yeah, find me there. Got lots of information, all my prices, all my services, everything for everyone to see, and 
I would always say book in for a discovery call because it's only really when you get to talk to me and you'll know whether I... I, I think they'll know for after this episode where I'll say that you're amazing. Uh, <laughs> but it's always good to just get, like, show your personal situation and make sure yeah. that it's a good fit both yeah. sides. But people listening after this, they'll be like, I want to work with Rosie because she's awesome. Well, I'll take <laughs> So thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I would love for you to leave me a rating and review on your podcast app as this helps to support the show and it allows it to reach more people with this valuable information. Come and say hi over on Instagram. I'm at Viva Natural Health. And if you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk for tons more free resources and to discover how I could support you further. I currently offer one-on-one consultation packages if you want my top level support, then more affordable group programs and self-paced online courses. So there really is something for everyone. If you're ready to change and get some answers but aren't sure which option would be best, take that first step today and apply for a free enrollment call on my website and we'll discuss the best steps for you to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony. Enjoy the rest of your day and I'll see you back here next week for another episode.